Dateline Hollywood. <laughs> Black Panther returns with Buffalo Box Office. <laughs> Nicks, picks, flicks, chicks. Ricks, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> no one can stop this juggernaut, Greg. Yeah, we're trying to get deeper into the movie biz here. And 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 look, black people are the future. There's no doubt about it now. <laughs> if anything, I think Black Panther was so great, it should be number one every weekend. <laughs> number one at the box office. Number one in our hearts. <laughs> number one at the Grammys. Number one at the yep. Tonys. Number one, just all the awards. It should deserve. I know. Can can a movie get an EGOT? Um, technically, no. <laughs> I don't mind. <laughs> I'm sure Frozen did somehow. Now that it's a on a, a staged musical as well, so I guess yeah. Oh yeah, if it was adapted to all four versions, yeah. Mm-hmm. Black Panther, the the soundtrack, I guess, could be yes. you know. Oh yeah, counts as an adaptation. I think I was number one. Yeah, I think I was number one in the uh, Hot Billboard charts too. Oh wow, Hot Billboard charts. I just I just aged myself. We are just years. we are just two old men talking about things we do not understand. <laughs> no. What's this Tomb Raider? Is that like a video game? <laughs> I haven't bought a CD in ages. How do they calculate who wins? I know. You know what was a really good movie this week, though? I can only imagine. Ugh, I was in church the other day. <laughs> and Pastor Tim, when there's a l- acoustic guitar played it. <laughs> I don't know why I said Pastor Tim. Every every pastor is Pastor Tim. <laughs> I don't, I, you know, we don't like the rock and roll in the music, in the choir, but oh, that song, it's I so know, beautiful. The drums are too loud. <laughs> yep. They shake the walls of the sanctuary. I don't like it, even though we sound Jewish, don't we? <laughs> and then Love, Simon got number five, so this is a Christian nation, so obviously. <laughs> How did you not see that this week? We should say your fiancé's name is Simon. <laughs> yeah. This, li- this The title of the movie is literally your M.O. Uh. It's like John. If I saw a movie entitled "Pizza, Beer, and Hockey," I would I would be first in line on Thursday night. But you've somehow just decided to skip this one. I'm not schlepping to the theater. Literally schlepping to the theater for an after-school special. Okay, come on, (laughs) John. What are you saying? It's about the plight of some rich cracker in the suburbs trying to come out of the closet. Oh, and his family's just too darn supportive. That's his biggest problem. And how will the play go with all this drama? Just come out when you're 21 yes. like an adult. God. <laughs> or just you wait till you're 50, bury it deep, deep down inside, and then die. You know, that's, that's what I do. That's what I'm planning on doing. That's what the people from I Can Only Imagine did. <laughs> and it looked yeah. great. <laughs> oh, we're off to a roaring start. Welcome to the Aspiring Snobs podcast, everybody. We look at old movies, uh, old, quote-unquote, and uh, reevaluate them as classics, quote-unquote. Yeah, sometimes we'll pick a movie based on uh, what's coming out soon in theaters. Mm -hmm. And there's a recent release coming out from Greg's favorite director, Wes Anderson. You said Wes Anderson. Sorry, Wes Anderson. (laughs) (laughs) I I know, I was thinking about that. I was like, did that come out as West? (laughs) Shoot. But he has a new stop-motion film coming out soon called Isle of Dogs, and so we decided to revisit his first foray into the world of stop-motion animation with Fantastic Mr. Fox. Don't buy this tree, Foxy. You're borrowing at nine and a half with no fixed rate, plus moving into the most dangerous neighborhood in the country for someone of your type of species. You're exaggerating, Badger. <laughs> I'm sugar-coating it, man. This is Boggus, Bunce, and Bean, three of the meanest, nastiest, ugliest farmers in the history of this valley. Really? Tell me about them. All right. Walt Bogus is a chicken farmer, probably the most successful in the world. He weighs the same as a young rhinoceros. He eats three chickens every day for breakfast, lunch, supper, and dessert. That's 12 in total per diem. Nate Bunce is a duck and goose farmer. 
He's approximately the size of a pot-bellied dwarf, and his chin would be underwater in the shallow end of any swimming pool on the planet. His food is homemade donuts with smashed up goose livers injected into them. Frank Bean is a turkey and apple farmer. He invented his own species of each. He lives on a liquid diet of strong alcoholic cider, which he makes from his apples. He's as skinny as a pencil, as smart as a whip, and possibly the scariest man currently living. Based on a a children's book by Roald Dahl? I was about to say beloved children's book, yeah. but this one... Eh. I, I like... It's not, it, wait. It's not up there with the Phantom Tollbooth, is it? No, it's not. And obviously, a few books are. I mean, mean, it's like it's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and then just Drek. Let's let's face facts. (laughs) Roald Dahl had a fascinating life. Yeah, he he was. I mean, he was famously a curmudgeon. He really uh, had famously a curmudgeon and a spy. Oh, what? Yeah. Okay. You didn't know this about him? Wow. Okay. Just out him. All right. Now he's blacklisted. Good job. Good job, Greg. All right. I d- indeed I did. He's rolling over in his grave right now. <laughs> They're exhuming him to find the polonium. Anyway. <laughs> and topical humor. Mm. Check. Check. <laughs> um, yeah. And so it's funny because uh, given his life, you wouldn't expect him to write so many kind of beloved children's books. And then here's an adaptation from two people who have no business making a children's movie. So there you go. <laughs> well, what do you say? Uh, no. We should say the two people are director Wes Anderson and also writer Noah Baumbach, who mm-hmm. co-collaborated with Anderson, co-collaborated, <laughs> who collaborated with Anderson on the screenplay. Mm-hmm. Now Noah Baumbach, I understand, because he's like a he's like a latter day Woody Allen without the marrying his child thing. <laughs> but Anderson Anderson famously has this dollhouse aesthetic. I mean, I think I think it's fine. He can go after, you know, children's cinema if he wants. I mean, yeah, but one of the interesting things about this movie is that he has a very kind of dry, droll sense. And I'm not used to seeing that in PG-rated movies. Like, the last PG-rated movie <laughs> I think I saw was The Boss Baby. And, oh boy. <laughs> there is a lot yeah, very different. A yeah, lot going on. Very different. And so I, I kind of want to give him encouragement for going after this kind of, like, very dry sensibility to a quote-unquote family movie. Um, I don't know if the whole family is going to be entertained through it, though. <laughs> no, that was kind of my first question, because it centers around, actually, uh, we should say this This centers around uh, the fantastic Mr. Fox, mm-hmm. played by George Clooney, his wife, voiced by Meryl Streep, mm-hmm. and they're they're moving. Yes. So it's literally about like them establishing a home, and there's like a real estate joke, and I'm like, would kids understand this? <laughs> I, now, granted, at least it's not like, you know, I'm trying to think of an example, like of... Uh, uh, we talked about Love Simon earlier. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Ice Age Three has this terrible like coming out joke or whatever that's supposed to be that's supposed to fly over the kids' heads, but mm-hmm. and it's straight for the adults. But like, there's nothing crude like that, at least in the movie. Well, it's also just kind of interesting because a lot of children's movies, going back to like Disney and uh, or sorry, not Disney, uh, Pixar and DreamWorks, usually center their story around like a midlife crisis, which this movie also does. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, Mr. Fox is kind of settling down. He's uh, famous for being kind of a thief. He steals chickens. He steals squab, whatever those are. And mm-hmm. um, <laughs> birds, but with the with the revelation that his wife is pregnant, um, he decides to settle down and becomes a newspaper columnist. Yeah, but Reve- re- <laughs> just to stop you there, the wife reveals that she's pregnant in that most Wes Anderson way. <laughs> Deadpan, flat. Deadpan, <laughs> right in the middle of the situation, completely inappropriate. Mm-hmm. But I think it is kind of appropriate because again, she she gives him an ultimatum. It's like if you know we if we live through this, I want you to find a new line of work. I thought that was kind of okay. a fun line. 
All right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Again, but squarely to, to the adults. It's kind of playing squarely to the adults. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically the way the story progresses is that, you know, he's got that itch. He just can't scratch. He's a he's an animal. He's a beast of nature, and he just has to mm-hmm. go back for one last score. So he decides, One last job. One last job. <laughs> I mean, why do you think they cast George Clooney, okay? This is Ocean's Eleven with puppets, okay? <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah, it's true. No, it should have been Jason Statham. I mean, come on. It is an English book. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> um, so he decides to target uh, three farmers, Boggins, Bunce, and Bean. Uh, they're all specializing in different things, and so he he concocts this kind of master scheme to attack all three farms. Basically, like robbing three casinos at once. Hmm. <laughs> Was that Ocean's Thirteen or no Ocean's Eleven, the original? Because that safe was no, but that was only one vault, wasn't no, it? No, but it, it supplied money to three different casinos. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 We should talk about Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> oh, Craig, did you not enjoy yourself? Well, John, I might surprise you. Okay. In that. You know, while we're examining these these animals of the story, mm-hmm. it it struck me. I I, I considered mankind. Mm-hmm. What I'm most impressed by mankind is our capacity for change. Oh, and but I'm also struck by how stubborn and well <laughs> set in their ways mankind is. <laughs> and no, I did not. I did not enjoy this movie. Oh, oh dear. <laughs> the way you're you are giving more your description of the plot is way more investment than these writers put into it. <laughs> this is the same problem I have with every freaking Wes Anderson movie. It's so blasé and so glib. Mm-hmm. Like, they just don't care, so why the hell should I? <laughs> it's got the same tone. This is my problem. And I say this for every Wes Anderson movie. You can take a scene from the beginning, you can take a scene from the middle, and you can take a scene from the end. Now, tell me, kind of distinguish between which one is which one fits where in the story. Mm. And the thing is, you can't because they're all done in this deadpan, straight line, just you know, too cool for school tone. That I just couldn't. I again, like all his other movies, I just found great, incredibly grating and unbearable. Mm. Last week you mentioned like again, he has this very dollhouse aesthetic, wide shots, flat angles. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, maybe it's a little more palatable now that it's actual dolls and not actual people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did you... F- and so did that... You, did you find that this movie is kind of, like, visually inventive? Uh, no, because there's, <laughs> there's one major problem. Not not visually inventive, like, but a huge visual problem. What's that? And I'm going to get into the production weeds here. Mm-hmm. As, as people know, <laughs> film, mo- moving pictures, are basically a series of still frames put in order. Okay. Now most movies run at 24 frames per second, but in animation you could cheat that a little bit. And what they did is recorded this movie at 12 frames per second. Mm. But it's very clear they did not record the audio at 12 frames per second, which I think is impossible. <laughs> that's why. That's actually why movies are at 24 frames per second. It's the minimum that they could record sound as well. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, so it matches um, the human eye, and yes, you know, also blurring it looks, and all it that. Looks yeah, nice too, blur, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. So. Like, already, like, first things first, I've seen, like, something's wrong here. And I think it's because the animation didn't sync up. The one thing you should do in an animated movie, (laughs) sync up the animation with the voices. Mm. And already I'm, like, taken on the movie. I was thinking of other, like, because I love stop motion. Like, one of our favorite movies is Pirates, exclamation point, Band of Misfits. (laughs) Um, I love Kubo and the Two Strings that came out uh, two summers ago. Mm. That was great. But those like movies like transported me. They took me to somewhere play, and now I'm just watching. I'm conscious that I'm watching, kind of the quality of animation 
of like uh, I don't know that you would find on YouTube. But that's what <laughs> Wes of... Anderson does. He reminds you that uh, you're watching a movie. This is all artificial, and that's fine. <laughs> no, it's not fine. No, I want to be taken away. Transport me away. I paid good money. Damn it. <laughs> See some hustle, Coach. We don't have whack bat where I'm from. What are the rules? There's no whack bat on the other side of the river. No, we mostly just uh, run grass sprints or play acorns. Well, it's real simple. Basically, there's three grabbers, three taggers, five twig runners, and the player at whack bat. Center tagger lights a pine cone, chucks it over the basket, and the whack batter tries to hit the cedar stick off the cross rock. Then the twig runners dash back and forth until the pine cone burns out and the umpire calls hot box. Finally, at the end, you count up however many score downs it adds up to and divide that by nine. Got it. Go in for Ash. Substitution! Ash, come out! You need a breather. What? Come out? What? I still feel good, coach. Let me finish this eighth. No, no, come on. Step out. Step out. Let's go. Am I getting better, coach? Well, you're sure as cuss not getting any worse. Really? I mean, you think I could end up being as good as my dad if I keep practicing? Your dad? Your dad was probably the best whack bat player we ever had in this school. I mean, I, for me, I think it has its charms. That kind of level of artificiality and the fact that, mm -hmm. uh, again... One of the things they told him when they were originally, originally making this movie is like, we shouldn't use fur because obviously fur is going to change from shot to shot to shot. And he's like, I don't, you know, yeah. it's fine. Because again, this is like playing with dolls. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, whatever. It's fine. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> well, no, that, that choice I'll justify because um, I know this, this, you'll see this in the original King Kong movie too. Mm -hmm. um, there's also fur on, on King Kong and it's moving between shots and there's kind of a, it's, it's obviously from the indentations of the animator's hands and fingers. Mm -hmm. But also you can say, like, it's the wind. It connotes a little bit more movement. And actually it feels less artificial that way, I think. All right. Well, not so much. So that, There's not that a lot of action I'll justify. going on. Yeah. yeah. That lazy choice I'll justify. <laughs> the, 12 frame, the 12 frames per second, though, I can't abide. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Craig's just, uh, he's getting into the technical weeds. He's like, it's, exactly. the lighting was terrible and nothing was in focus. <laughs> But Greg, what about the story? Let's talk about the story. Oh boy, <laughs> another positive marks here. Here we go. <laughs> okay, so I will grant you. Um, I didn't really come around until West Anderson until I saw the Life of Kodak with Steve Zizou, and again, it's because I love what he does with production design and I love his aesthetic and his deadpan humor. Eventually, kind of grew on me. But my two favorite movies of his are his most recent, Moonrise Kingdom and The Grand Budapest Hotel. And I think I realized why and why I don't like this movie as much. And I do not want to lay it at the feet of one actor in particular. That seems very unfair. <laughs> but two words. So Jason Schwartzman. <laughs> He's the most <laughs> annoying human being on the planet. <laughs> and I think that's why I don't like the Royal Tenenbaums or some of his earlier work. Because, again, Jason Schwartzman is front and center, where he kind of gets pushed off to the side in his subsequent films and that's perfect that's perfect just put him in one scene have him do like quick snappy dialogue and then done yes we don't need him anymore thank you um <laughs> here he's playing ash uh mr fox's son yeah and, who i believe is an invented character who's not originally in the roald doll book um yeah uh, i mean the idea that mr fox is a father is important in the original story but um yeah. i don't know if ash is you know particularly this kid and if for this role for the story of the movie it's based around this idea that he's kind of shucking his domestic responsibilities mr fox and you know kind of doing what he wants to do and this you know obviously hurts poor ash his son but 
Ash is just an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> well, this I'll lay at the you lay it at the feet of Jason Schwartzman, who I think can only do so much mm-hmm. with the material. Mm-hmm. I lay that more at the feet of Noah Bachman, or Noah who Bombeck. is not Noah Bombach. My bad. Yeah. Where did I get Bachman? Anyway, <laughs> I laid it at the feet of Noah Bombach, who uh, maybe a lot of other people don't know as well as Wes Anderson, but has <laughs> who has his own little trademarks or whatever that I find so infuriating, mm-hmm. and namely that is. Very neurotic characters, and that's what Ash is. He's com- he's completely neurotic. He hates school. Mm-hmm. He hates. And then when they and he wants to, he he dreams of being an athlete, but obviously he has no athletic talent whatsoever as a way yeah. to impress his father, which is which is never going to happen either. No. <laughs> and then the one of the complications comes in is that they uh, adopt in a way, or at least uh, shelter his cousin, Kristoff, mm-hmm. uh, and his cousin. Kristoff, who excels at every sport and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, has uh, gets the romantic interest of a girl that uh, young Ash is pining for. Mm-hmm. And so suddenly, again, it just amplifies his dickish behavior, as you said. <laughs> and that's the problem. Like, that's that's the only kind of characters that Noah Baumbach can write. <laughs> just annoying, horrible people? <laughs> yes, annoying, horrible people who are so, like, you know, desperate for validation <laughs> and attention. Hey, they say write what you know, okay? I do. <laughs> I, I don't know Noah, Noah Baumbach personally, so I won't. <laughs> I won't go that far, but I'll lay that at the feet of the right. But again, yeah, we're talking about two storylines here that kind of don't work. One is the heist scenario, as you said, mm-hmm. that is fine. But again, just the tone of the whole thing. Like, I never felt any stakes. I never felt that anybody was in danger. At one point, uh, their tree they move into a tree. Mm-hmm. And it gets taken out by these these vengeful farmers because they've been they've had their food stolen by the fantastic Mr. Fox, mm-hmm. and so they pull up a, blow, a bulldozer to the house, mm-hmm. and then you know oh my gosh it looks like a scary situation oh we'll just dig out of it and they're fine. <laughs> like so that storyline is just like yeah whatever like you just throw your hands up and eh, whatever and the other one you just hate because it's just a, a an annoying kid being annoying to his cousin. <laughs> Being mean to his cousin and working way yeah. too hard to try to impress his father, which obviously yeah. isn't working. Um, but then the other kind of complication is we kind of bring in the whole menagerie of animals because once they kind of take out Mr. Fox's home, it kind of affects everyone else in the area. And so I do kind of like the way that it kind of ropes in everybody else into the story as well. It's like Mr. Fox's actions obviously just don't hurt his family. They hurt his extended uh, animal brethren. Yeah, but John, who are some of those animals? Describe their characters, if you will. Well, there's Badger, played by uh, Bill Murray. And yeah, he's an estate agent. What what else about him, John? He's what's his essence? He's angry. <laughs> and <laughs> then there's the coach, who's a weasel, I believe. Voice uh, voiced by Owen Wilson. Yeah. yeah. Um, John, what's his, what's his what's his personality like? How does how does what's his arc throughout the story? Uh, you know, he's just Owen Wilson. He's like, wow. <laughs> Wow. Wow. <laughs> that, that was brilliant. Keep that up. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Keep working. <laughs> there's uh, the opossum, his super, who he drags super. along on his little misadventures. Now that character I like. <laughs> you do? Because yes, because <laughs> again, in sharp contrast to the cool, the cool cat. Not literally. <laughs> that is George Clooney. We have this. You know, we have the um, the mousy little opossum. I'm just using animal analogies now. <laughs> Compared to the the nervous little sidekick, mm-hmm. like, that contrast I liked. Okay, but, I see. I yeah. didn't think it gave him enough to do. It's not like he kind of had a moment where he kind of proved his metal. 
That's true. It, exactly. That's it. That's the whole problem. Like you can you can say you admire <laughs> that the story kind of envelops this whole animal society. Yeah. But the whole animal society isn't characterized or individualized or memorable. Well, I guess way. you basically summed up my whole opinion of the movie. I admire it more than I enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like the visuals. I like the fact that it's a family movie that's not trying to like distract you every three seconds. It's you know, nice little quiet story. Well, quiet at times um you know yeah. obviously trying to impart the most important of all kids messages be yourself yeah, mm-hmm. yeah of course he's different but there's something kind of fantastic about that yeah. i like meryl streep in this movie she's putting in her most like uh, subdued performance we've seen in a while <laughs> yeah i was wondering when was the last time i saw meryl streep play a human <laughs> and i think it's this movie actually exactly <laughs> i'm trying to think as far back as like Kramer versus Kramer or something like that. That's the last time she played like a down-to-earth person. Mm. The rest of the time she's like, loud, like, oh, oh, I am the prime minister, the iron lady. I am. <laughs> I Mama run Mia. a fashion magazine. <laughs> Again, we'll, we'll workshop that one too. Exactly. <laughs> Tune in next week when we, when we nail down these impressions. You'll love them, trust me. And feel free to ask us for our improv show, okay? <laughs> Brothers of a Thousand Faces. <laughs> All right, I heard Owen Wilson and Meryl Streep uh, go to Whole Foods <laughs> and action. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good, it's a good kind of down to earth performance of. I, I do miss kind of actually, you know what? I don't miss. I, I I will admire this. She's not like the nagging wife. No, absolutely. Not. At one point, at one point, she does you know confront Mr. Fox like, "Hey, what are you doing? Oh, you're thieving again." Mm-hmm. But it's not it's not played for the the kind of cliche dramatics that that normally is like the domesticated wife like you know it's just nags and you know tries to stop whatever whatever the man is doing well no and it kind of fits in with again his whole kind of even keel low energy tone like there are mm-hmm. uh, several moments where characters will cry but instead of like big bawling it's just kind of like single tracks of tears running down their faces or you know mm-hmm. down their hairs so um <laughs> i kind of like the understatedness of those moments as well um, again, it works, but the rest of the whole movie is so sedated, it's hard to get invested. <laughs> Look at you, girl. You're still as fine-looking as a creme brulee. Am I being flirted with by a psychotic rat? <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Excuse me. May I cut in? locked in an apple crate on top of a gun locker in the attic of Bean Annex. Would you have told me if I didn't kill you first? Never. I, I think you're right, though. I think this is fine for kids. Mm-hmm. Like, I guess let's compare it to like other children's movies. Like, again, it's not as it's not as bombastic as, say, The Boss Baby, <laughs> or have as problematic a message for instance but <laughs> well i mean it's it's interesting 
like kind of again like it it does feel like it's more playing for the adults like the use of the word cuss so oh right all yeah. the actor like all the characters instead of saying swear words will say cuss instead mm-hmm. like to substitute any kind of swear word so at one point someone will say like cuss damn you or something like that <laughs> or like yeah. god cuss you or something yeah and yeah again like maybe again like maybe it's because this is pitched for maybe slightly older kids you know, if you're like ten year old and you're trying to make him like an insufferable hipster, you dress him in tweed and it's like put on this movie or something, you know. <laughs> Let's start well, no, these bad I, habits. I think that kid. Need, I think that kid needs the boss baby. Okay. <laughs> he needs to be influenced by Alec Baldwin's character <laughs> and become a titan of industry. <laughs> you didn't. You didn't think the visuals were at least interesting. No, because I was always kind of. Again, with that production issue I had mm-hmm. with the literally the audio recording frame rate and the visual frame rate running at different speeds, mm-hmm. like I was always kind of like taken out of it. And again, I don't like that flat aesthetic. I actually want to be absorbed, but again, it literally looks like a diorama. Yeah. So again, I wasn't I wasn't say again comparing this to another stop motion animated movie like Kubo feels like a much more immersive world. Mm-hmm. And I'm like actually impressed, like, wow, how did they do that? Whereas here, I'm like, oh, I know exactly how they did that. They put a shoebox on its side. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I like the way that they use it kind of visually and inventively for like action scenes, like when the uh, uh, tunnels that they dug for themselves to hide from the three farmers gets flooded. Oh, no. No? No. No? Oh, oh, I guess that's it. Okay, I thought you meant the first escape. Mm, no, no. That I, that I didn't in particular like because, again, it's shot and wide. Mm-hmm. They're supposed to be hustling away from these three vengeful farmers but again you don't feel any impact or whatever because they're tiny they're a tiny little speck on screen moving it moving at fast it's, moving it's, at, it's uh, like seeing an ant farm get made in real time you know it's kind of like yes <laughs> yeah and uh, maybe at, at fast forward speeds but <laughs> i mean i i don't get me wrong the story of this movie is very shaggy uh, get it because they're animals <laughs> I just... and one of the weird things i also found is that they try to kind of like tie up loose ends like they set stuff up and then pay it off but they didn't really need to one of the weird uh and maybe this is from the original book but one of the Mm -hmm. weird details is that um mr fox is scared of wolves oh yeah and once all the action has happened and once everything is kind of like squared away with although that's another way that the movie kind of ends kind of ambiguously is the fact that it's like they they don't really get to like a nice kind of same ste- steady state of dom- domesticity. They still are kind of like fugitives. Well, no, but they they've seen to found their Valhalla <laughs> exactly in in a department store mm-hmm. in a supermarket. That's at the very end. But you're speaking to a moment uh, right after the climax. Mm-hmm. It's kind of resolution, and yeah, he looks off into the middle distance, and there's a wolf, mm-hmm. a, a hitherto unseen wolf. Mm-hmm. He confesses that he's scared of them usually, but mm-hmm. like he kind of like stands his ground, and then they both like fist bump it's very strange <laughs> fist, uh, acknowledge each other at a, dis- at a distance yeah but again like that doesn't really like wh- why was that included <laughs> it has nothing kind of to I do with know. the story i don't know it's it's definitely the most beautiful shot they've done but fair enough yeah because again the wolf like, is still again, against, against there's the moon a... and the mountains and stuff like that That's yes and mean. there seems to be some dimensionality to it <laughs> like they're literally looking at each other from a distance mm-hmm. so yeah but yeah, I, I again, I, I completely forgot that detail, and like I, I just accepted it for you know being a nice, uh, nice denouement to the kind of this moment instead of like an, an important story setup oh, okay. <laughs> or an, an important moment in the plot. Mm. 
I mean, like maybe it's representative of the fact that he's undergone this change or something. I don't know. It just kind of felt like yeah. a weird kind of brushed off detail. Again, yeah. maybe in the original book, it's it's more important, but here it's yeah, it's not. Yeah, there is another moment like that with a rat who plays a security guard mm-hmm. who's voiced by Willem Dafoe. Mm-hmm. Willem Dafoe. He, uh, he's always he's playing the most their... interesting character in West Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> which is always the, the, the skeevy, mysterious one, which is the only way that Wes Anderson knows how to cast uh, Willem Dafoe. Well, in uh, Life Aquatic, he's actually playing more of the Ash character. He's, like, playing an underling of Steve Zizou, and he feels like he gets no respect. Or, you know, he's looking for, like, that reverence from Steve Zizou. And he's German, too. Uh-huh, he's like, laughs. thanks um, thanks for not picking me. You know, kind of, like, sulks away like a little boy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Willem Dafoe's yeah, great. great. That's my point. Willem Dafoe's yeah. awesome. Okay. <laughs> Yes, but John, this character, mm-hmm. he plays a security guard for these three farmers, mm-hmm. and at one point he gets he gets vanquished. Yes, he gets electrocuted. Yes, but he which was also he... another visually interesting scene. I like that fight scene because again, the the we only kind of see it like the, the lights are kind of flickering on and off, so we kind of see it in a, as a series of still frames. Get it? Because it's claymation. I thought it was kind of I no. Yeah. Oh come on. <laughs> I no, it's well. I didn't like again. The Wes Anderson also has these like moments of violence in his movies <laughs> that kind of are somewhat off-putting with the rest of the story. But mm-hmm. anyway, uh, there's there's kind of this uh, this deathbed moment, mm-hmm. and Mr. Fox approaches him and and he he confesses like he just wants some jam or something like that. Yeah. And so he gives him some, and it's supposed to be like I guess merciful, but again, it just kind of like comes out of nowhere, and it's supposed to be like a nice coda to. I don't know, an otherwise, another another unestablished, boring character. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like, oh, they, they had mutual respect for each other by the end, but... Yeah, it, yeah. but one is dead. <laughs> that respect doesn't mean a whole lot when you're dead. <laughs> he made his choices, Greg. He made his bed. Okay, now he lies right. in it. <laughs> On the cold, cold grave. slab. <laughs> Just a wonderful time for the family at least. <laughs> okay, I'll be honest. This is definitely yeah. not one of my favorite, but I like the fact that Wes Anderson decided to experiment and he decided to try a uh, stop motion animation. And I look forward to Isle Dogs. I want to see how that turns out. I think it'll be better. Okay. Cause again, I think okay. he's, I think he's in a career Renaissance right now. Okay. He's just getting better <laughs> and better. Okay. For the last, yeah, for the last uh, eight years. Yeah. Career <laughs> Renaissance. Ah. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I know this, this, film this production has been kind of in limbo for a long time and i'm not sure this is what everybody's ideal portrait of an adaptation of <laughs> fantastic mr fox would be mm-hmm. but yeah you're right at least at least it, it tries something different mm-hmm. uh i think it would be honored more and have that classic status um i'm not even sure if it's a classic <laughs> the only reason we're talking about it is because we thought it would make a, an interesting discussion mm-hmm. and isle of dogs is coming out gotta get those clicks yeah exactly no, yeah <laughs> get them clicks yeah but it it ran into a buzzsaw of that, that was up at award season. Oh. So, <laughs> did it even get nominated for best animated picture? It did. Okay. Okay, John, they have a hard time filling five. That is true. Good point. <laughs> <laughs> but although it's interesting that I couldn't see past again the the same tone that Wes Anderson adopts for every one of his movies, mm-hmm. and also just those little production quirks. Okay. Like I wish I I wish I could see past that, but no, that I can't abide. Mm. 
our old we we used to make stop motion animated movies with Lego, yes. and those looked better. Oh, don't give yourself too much credit, Greg. <laughs> I know they were. Greg they was were like, really "These powerful. are my masterpieces. They're gonna yeah. rediscover <laughs> them in sixty years when I'm old and gray, and they'll be like glass. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yes, yep. the the budding seeds of a genius. <laughs> yep, to be unappreciated in one's lifetime. <laughs> Those on YouTube. We should put those on YouTube. I don't know. They're lost in. The, they were on a computer that was sold at a yard sale in 2002. Oh, damn. <laughs> well, now they're now they're artifacts lost to the ages. Oh well. Yeah. Yeah. Like tears and rain. <laughs> Where do you come from? Where do you come from? What are you doing here? Canis Lupus. Vulpus Vulpus. I don't think he speaks English or Latin. Pensez-vous que l'hiver sera rude? I'm asking if he thinks we're in for a hard winter. He doesn't seem to know. I have a phobia of wolves. Wish him luck, boys. Good luck, Good luck out there. So, John, I mean, Fantastic Mr. Fox, it sounds like it didn't exactly shine. No, it did not. It did not exactly yeah. glow. No, but I'll tell you where it will glow. Ooh. And that's in our signature section, Spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie! It's time! Spotlight tonight. Gonna go out, gonna get the briefest of glances can start the biggest romance. So doing the dancing, we're making romance. I'm sorry, that should be our last 30 minutes is just us singing Bob's Burgers. <laughs> yes, <laughs> they're earworms, those ones. Yes, Greg, what do you have for Spotlight? Well, John, I thought it would be apropos mm-hmm. for me to see a movie, another movie with Fox in the title. And like Isle of Dogs, it's, na- it's in theaters now, and it's an Israeli drama called Foxtrot, which did not get nominated for Best Foreign Picture, much to the chagrin of many a critic. Yes, it's it's an Israeli it's, it's an Israeli film, mm-hmm. so clearly the Academy hates Israel. Of course. <laughs> Greg, it looks too much like nepotism if they nominate every Israeli film. I do. <laughs> well, I it that could be because this film doesn't actually hold hold the, the nation of Israel in high esteem, no. even oh. though it is an Israeli film. No. Well, yeah. it's a war film. I feel like half of all movies it that is. come out of Israel are based around war. Let's be honest. Well, I've, it, they have. It's required to do time in the army, so okay. <laughs> it's part of literally every citizen's experience. Okay. <laughs> so there's something quite universal but, about it. Interesting. Exactly. Yeah. Well, also universal. It is a movie about grief. Uh, it centers on. It's actually a little triptych of. It, there are three acts, and the first one is about uh, or the the two that begin and end the movie the two acts that begin and end the movie are about this couple who lose their son Mm -hmm. who was um, serving in the army at a very remote uh, border crossing I'm assuming on the border of Israel and and Egypt they don't say but I'm assuming that's where it is Mm -hmm. it starts off a little oddly it's trying it's the filmmaking is trying to reflect that grief because it literally opens with this news two soldiers are at the door and the wife in this couple like immediately faints she knows what this means Mm -hmm. and they they reveal that yes your son Jonathan is dead Mm -hmm. 
And uh, here, the filmmaking is trying to reflect the father's grief um, with some kind of disquieting touches, like um, uh, harsh cuts to like loud noises, like the buzzer on a door or uh, a sound in the bathroom or something like that. So it doesn't it doesn't get off to a strong start. But where it is strongest is when we in the middle act when we shift our focus to Jonathan and his three other soldiers at this outpost. Mm-hmm. Here it gets a, a it gets a little um, it's it's a little more enlivened by you know them trying to stave off their boredom a few plot complications like they're staying in a shipping container that's literally sinking into muddy sand <laughs> interesting <laughs> yeah and the, and the filmmaking just it also gets more interesting they're really arresting shots of a of a of a camel like passing th- passing through the border crossing on the a lone camel on this road um they cook potted meat <laughs> <laughs> It's it's amazing that this nation state has so much uh, military power, and yet this they literally portray these four guys like living out of a shipping container and just eating Aww. you know rationed meat. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, so the title a, the title comes from a particular scene where a character dances with their gun. He does like the foxtrot with his gun or something like that. Yeah. So the title has a has a double meaning. Okay. Not only the not only the designation that's the designation of the outpost is called foxtrot. Mm-hmm. You know, like the like the military alpha like the NATO alphabet. Yeah. But also it, there's reference to the dance, mm-hmm. and the dance holds significance because as as characters explain, multiple characters characters <laughs> explain, um, you always wind up at the same place, oh. no matter what steps you do. Yeah. Like all good writers, you know, there's no metaphor you can't underline four times. <laughs> Absolutely. <no. laughs> In case you didn't so, yeah. get it. Yes. So yeah, I will say, even though the the filmmaking is very good, um, it is a little obvious in points. Like again, the explanation of the foxtrot, mm-hmm. the big dramatic score is um, Arvo Part Spiegel um Spiegel, um, yep. which you don't know if, if you don't know what that is, Google it and you will recognize it immediately because <laughs> it's I think it's in every other movie <laughs> or every other movie trailer. It's also a yes. great trailer. Song. Yes, to add instant levity. Yeah. <laughs> just instant levity like that like that guy who tosses the salt in like you know i need levity in my movie let me just toss in some arvo part here let's just put in some soft piano music yep can't get the rights to eric satis gymnope here we go god all the all the ladies just love that yep. one the ladies see what you're missing but I we know our like classical that. composers yeah gets them pussies wet yeah in any event, Foxtrot is still a fine movie. Um, probably not for those who endlessly support the the nation of Israel. Oh, really? Is, you sure? Yeah. <laughs> yes, because what also makes that middle chapter interesting is their treatment of these Palestinian and other Arabic people crossing the border and how sometimes they're mistreated or uh, distrusted, let's say. Okay. I don't want to give too much away, but... Got it. Yeah, but it again that that's why that middle chapter is so so interesting, and I I feel like that that mo- that makes it worthwhile to go seek out. Mm. Okay, well it's funny, Greg, because you also reminded me of another recent release. I think I want to spotlight. Really? I was going to spotlight something else, but I think I should spotlight this because I think it's out of theaters now, and hopefully it'll be on Netflix soon because I think they have a distribution deal with it. But you okay. talking about that kind of reminded me of a movie that's kind of been weighing on my head recently, which is Annihilation. Ah. Yes. <laughs> I was kind of hoping you would see it and we could talk about it together because it is kind of a very odd film. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, everything I've heard, like, I, what did I joke earlier? Like, I would see a movie with just, you know, pizza, beer, and hockey in it. <laughs> and everything I heard about Annihilation is something I don't want to see. Oh, in really? <laughs> yeah. 
But Greg, I know. Fem- Alex Garland. Strong female protagonist? No way. <laughs> <laughs> Natalie Portman, wolf. <laughs> but no. Uh, an, uh, an uggo Jew. <laughs> oh. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Pause, pause, pause. <laughs> our, our, our improv show is canceled. <laughs> The whole podcast is canceled. It's going to be scrubbed from the internet. No. Yeah, <laughs> for that yeah. comment. <laughs> yep. No, and I I heard of the horror elements that are in Annihilation. It's really that, kind, that kind of one. It's off. really one scene in particular towards the middle. So what I kind of like okay. about the way the movie is structured is that it's it's kind of it's it's very two thousand one esque, which I've I've talked about in mm-hmm. a previous one, which is weird sci fi nonsense is happening. We're gonna send these people on a mission. Halfway through the mission, uh, something goes awry where people kind of turn on each other. And then we end up in this weird, hallucinatory, surreal ending where something happens to a character, and it's very open to interpretation, but she undergoes some kind of transformation. Okay. And uh, and I think that's what's pissing off people a lot about this movie is the fact that it's <laughs> it's very open to interpretation. Um, okay. Another thing it kind of reminds me a lot of is a Midnight Special. Okay. Now, that that's a movie we both saw and liked. Exactly. And I, another reason why I think people kind of we're kind of down on that movie and this movie as well is because it builds up this weird sci-fi-esque realm mm-hmm. that it can't quite live up to when you kind of get the explanation. <laughs> and yeah. also, Or even like it doesn't, it explains it in, in still like an ambiguous way. Exactly. And they even end the same way, which is someone's eyeball shimmering, you know, indicating that, you know, okay. something's happening, you know, so. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a very it's a very interesting movie. I like the way that it's kind of structured because again, like those three acts, uh, you know, they travel into the shimmer. First, it kind of starts off man versus nature. They have to fight these beasties. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, things are there's this weird evolutionary beasties. Thing. I, 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 scarier in spite of the way you, you describe them. Well, no, the scary one happens in the middle act when they all turn on each other, and then what gets okay. them out of that situation is this weird zombified bear, which is just horrifying just this <laughs> horrifying bear with half its face missing just kind of like ruins everyone's shit <laughs> okay <laughs> and what's creepy about it is what happens is it kills someone earlier in the movie and then we uh-huh. hear her screaming later in the movie and and we assume she was dead it turns out that the her dna had implanted on this bear that had killed her so now the bear has her voice wonderful already very already, unsettling I'm, I'm ready to rush out to the theaters for this <laughs> very unsettling very nasty but again it works it's effective so i can't hate it <laughs> if okay. you make me squirm in my seat you're making me feel something so good job uh, um all right yeah, it's a, that's not what I that's not what I go out to pay twelve dollars for, but you know, <laughs> no, but I get more credit to the filmmakers. I yeah, guess, but it's there. a it's a very interesting movie. Uh, again, very open mm-hmm. to interpretation, but obviously has these themes of life and death, and life is a constant struggle, and it's growing, and cancer is a big theme. Like a lot of characters have cancer, and this shimmer is kind mm-hmm. of looked at as a cancer. It's like making all these biological things happen, but is it encroaching too much? Is it choking on its own self? Is it yeah. destroying its own self? Is it leading everything oh. to annihilation? Hey, that's the name of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's a very interesting movie. Um, again, okay. the the ending, the climax is very weird. Um, mm. I, I can't, I don't even want to begin to describe it because it's not going to do it justice. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, but I, th- I thought it was, you know, fine filmmaking, fine, fine work okay. from Alex Garland. Okay. A young, uh, right. up-and-comer, so... It'll be interesting to see. Alex from Alex Garland. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll see what he's capable of. This young whippersnapper. <laughs> yeah. John, he wrote 28 Days Later. I think he's been around a while. Oh, he has. 
Yeah. I also heard he secretly directed Dread. <laughs> uh, He's not credited, that, that but I'm he was sure kind of, of like more in charge of it than the actual credited director. Yeah, yeah whatever. You know, you know these rumors. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I know it is playing in one theater near me, so maybe I will mm-hmm. check it out. And we'll talk. Uh, we'll talk about it on a future podcast, maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just know. Yeah, I just from what it sounds like again bumping up against my personal taste okay. so again please please forgive me if i'm not if i'm not eager exactly to see a horrific zombie bear with the with the the voice of its victim exactly <laughs> screaming in terror but uh also that i, I do want to uh, push back against one other thing i know this movie didn't do well at the u.s box office mm-hmm. and got released straight to netflix all around the world and people were lamenting, like, oh, this, but it has, you know, female protagonists, and, you know, it's hard sci-fi, like, you know, why can't it be, like, the, the 70s, like, you know, when uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey and The Parallax View and a few other, like, hard sci-fi movies were really in vogue at the time. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, well, that's because there were literally three channels on the television. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe one other movie at the, remember the old cinema house? Like, they had one theater in there. <laughs> they could only show one movie at a time. <laughs> That's just so, and so many I, Yeah, and I like I I I just want to push back against these people and just say like just be grateful that there is a hard sci-fi movie starring women because again like because we have the option like I I'm happy that I have like Netflix and you know March Madness basketball and, and I we have all these entertainment options we should be grateful that we have them instead of like you know oh lamenting that like oh something I didn't like didn't do well at the box office exactly. and doesn't have more people who like it <laughs> I yet. know like, that seems to be what they're more lamenting they're more lamenting of, you know. the fact that my opinion wasn't validated by box office money <laughs> I like this therefore it should be a success <laughs> yeah um I do want to push back like People are giving it way too much credit for the fact that it has like all female protagonists, because all the characters mm-hmm. are actually pretty thin when you get right down to it. <laughs> they all have like well, that's I... they all have their one issue that is spelled out in one particular scene, and then it really doesn't take them anywhere. Does it? Like they're all pretty thin. Again, it's really more of a plot-driven movie, and not really driven by oh. like the choices of their characters. So I don't I don't want to give it the movie like too much credit for like oh female protagonists representation win, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it, it does seem like. Well, it seems like it was intended to be down to earth, mm-hmm. uh, pun intended. <laughs> so, yeah, you don't you don't characterize them in the same way like you would like I'm the like you would in a movie. I'm the sassy one. <laughs> well, uh, that's the thing. They also kind of have that when you initially meet them. They all have those kind of personalities. Like I'm the brash oh, they do. one. Okay. Uh, <laughs> also, I'm a lesbian. Can you handle that? <laughs> Whoa, no. <laughs> Again, count me out. <laughs> I'm going to go see I Can Only Imagine Again <laughs> with my youth group. <laughs> with my Bible study. The church paid for our bus, so we can all go together. <laughs> we'll use the passenger van. It'll be great. Yeah. Sing praise to the Lord. Come on, Buddy. everybody. Buddy. Hallelujah. Greg, you sound like a big fat baby. <laughs> John, nobody will get that. <laughs> They're not as familiar that's, with Amy Grant's discography no, as you and I that's for us. That's just for us. Yeah, that's for us. <laughs> Speaking of us, I mean, can can you guys do something for us? Yeah. Could you do us a favor and maybe mm-hmm. follow us on Twitter and Facebook? Hit that likes button. Smash that like button. Mm-hmm. Hit it like you've never hit a like button before. Follow and retweet and heart and just do all those things. And yep. then, once you're done with that, go to your podcast service of choice, wherever you're listening to this, whether it be Stitcher. Mm-hmm. 
or Apple Podcasts, and maybe give us a subscribe and a rating. And that'll help people find us and help our show reach out to the millions of podcast listeners out there. Yes, I won't feel as lonely, and that's what matters. <laughs> exactly. We're so lonely. <laughs> I, John, something else to stave off that loneliness. We have an email address, <gasps> aspiringsnobs at gmail.com. Yes, reach out to us. Reach out. Yes, what we want to hear from you is recommendations, mm-hmm. questions, questions, comments, or your thoughts on these movies. Again, we discussed three of them here today. Fantastic Mr. Fox, Foxtrot, Annihilation. <laughs> I know I said that weird. I apologize. <laughs> you just put some stank on it. That's fine. I, indeed, I did. Just a little bit of English. Mm-hmm. <laughs> John, speaking of putting English on things, yes. Put put some stank on that movie we're going to be watching next week, so that our audience can watch along with us. As if we didn't have enough great Jewish jokes this episode. <laughs> Tune in oh, next no. week because we'll be revisiting Schindler's List, <laughs> the feel-good movie of the '90s. <laughs> yeah, I mean. I, it's it's shocking that you and I are movie buffs and we haven't seen this one yet. No, neither of you are. Yeah, and and we um, and we it's been on Netflix for a very long time, and their catalog mm-hmm. is increasingly, or decreasingly, shrinking. <laughs> it's shrinking at at, at a nominal rate. Yeah, yeah. To, to make room for eight other million other TV shows that you won't yes, watch, garbage television, <laughs> or crappy sci-fi movies that you know they didn't have the courage to release in theaters. Mm-hmm. Not like Annihilation, though. Annihilation was good. Okay, guys, all right. I, I'm not walking that back. But, you know, I think we're, we're finally going to expose ourselves to the the horrors depicted in this film. I know we're not eager to, but, you know, I think it's necessary. You know what? It's it's required viewing, so let's just get it over yeah. with. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm, I don't want to say optimistic, but... Well, it also psych us up for the, the, the next masterpiece from Steven Spielberg, Ready Player One. <laughs> In that movie, it's its own kind of holocaust. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, thank you, everybody. Oh, boy, this 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 episode of Capital P Problematic. <laughs> we are going to get a letter from the Anti-Defamation League. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy, yeah. <laughs> Can't show my face in this town again. <laughs> thank you, everybody, for listening to the last episode of Aspiring Stumps. <laughs> and until next time, or forever, who knows? <laughs> Keep aspiring. <laughs>